and everybody. Happy Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. He's risen. That's just going to be the theme through the rest of the morning and the rest of the day. So just get used to it. He is risen. For those of you who may not know, my name is Jason Lalone. And I have the tremendous joy to serve as pastor here at Park. And if you're a guest here with us today... On behalf of our church family, we welcome you to our gathering and celebration as we get to do this every week as a witness to the power of what we're proclaiming today. We have an 11 o'clock service up at Gale Elementary. We have a uh, service that's happening at Breakers Retirement Home here at 11 o'clock. And also we have um, our house churches that are meeting along Devon Avenue in West Rogers Park later this afternoon. And so God is doing tremendous things up here in Rogers Park in and through his church. And we're so humbled and glad to be a part of it. And we're glad that you can come celebrate uh, the power that's in work in us to make all of that happen. So we bless you this morning. Now, we're gonna, I've got a little bit longer passage today, so I want to get right into it as we conclude our sermon series on the seven I am statements of Jesus throughout the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bible with you this morning or your cell phone, turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 44. If you're using one of the house Bibles that you got on the way in, it's going to be on page 523, 523. And as always here at Park, if you're a guest here with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, make sure to take one home with you as a small gift from us. And as Lee said, make sure to stop by the cafeteria after service to uh, grab a welcome bag, some goodies, and get your Easter picture taken. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. We ready? We ready? I'm ready, man. I'm ready to go. It's been a while since I've preached, so I'm like ready to go this morning. John chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, and one of the most famous and beloved stories in all of Scripture. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and that you are going there again? And then Jesus gives this kind of cryptic parable or statement. He answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees by the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And what Jesus is saying here is simply this. John has created a light and darkness motif throughout his gospel. And he's saying, listen up, fellas. I know there's been trouble back in Judea, but if you follow me, everything's going to be okay. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So, that Thomas, called, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. 
Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that you, whatever you ask, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes and lives in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were, who were there with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an order, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Here's what I'd like for us to walk out, with the, door, out the doors with today. Even in the midst of sin and of suffering, dismay, and death. No matter what your situation, there is always the hope of a resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful now that we get to come before you and hear your words being spoke. Grateful for your word because your word says about itself that it's living and active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword, for it cuts to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, for it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It opens us up and helps us to see what's going on inside. 
And I pray that you would do that this morning, all through your word, by the power of the Spirit. But mostly I pray this morning, Father, that you would give eyes to see. That you'd help us to see with the eyes of our hearts this morning. So that we would believe the most important thing that we need to get this morning is sight. That we would see Jesus more and more for who he is. So we can follow him more closely. And continue to live the life that you've called us to live. So be our help, I pray. And Father, I also pray by your spirit that those who are spiritually dead here in this room. That they would come to life this morning through the power of your word and your testimony. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to move through our story this morning in three points. So number one is a message of deep distress is met with a confounding response. Now, one of the many things that I love about this story is not only do we see Jesus' divine power put on display, but we also see him identifying with our humanity. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who existed before the creation of the world and who spoke the present world and universe into existence by words, has close friends. Now, when it comes to friendship, how many of us know that there are Facebook friends and then there are family friends? Throughout the Gospels, it's evident that these three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, are clearly the latter. So much so that Jesus' love for them is explicitly stated three times in this account. John does not want us to miss this. Jesus loves them, this they know. But as my mama used to say growing up, he sure got a funny way of showing it. Unexpectedly, it doesn't look good for Jesus' friend Lazarus. Yet the sisters have hope because personally they knew that if there was a healing that needed to be had, Jesus was their guy. Because previously we know that their father Simon was cured by leprosy or of leprosy by Jesus. They got a connection. For them, Proverbs 24.18 rings true. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's who Jesus is for us. He had already shown great care for this family, so the sisters, without skipping a beat, send a messenger to let him know about their brother. But here comes the head scratcher. Everybody scratch their heads. It's amazing what I can get people to do standing up here. (laughs) Look at verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So right away, when he found out that Lazarus was sick, he dropped what he was doing and he went immediately to him. Nope. It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days longer in the place where he was. That seems not... Loving, that seems rather unloving, doesn't it? Further in verse 8, Jesus says that he wants to go back to the place where they wanted to stone him. What in the world is going on here? Back in chapter 10, Jesus is making strong claims about himself, particularly about his deity. And the religious leaders are looking to stone him, but he gets away. But what in the world is going on here? You have this delay and then Jesus wanting to go back there. What's happening Can we just have a keep it real moment this morning? Can we just all agree that God's ways are not our ways? I mean, seriously, if you've ever just lived any little bit of life, can you just agree with me in that? 
that he doesn't comply with our Google calendars for some reason. He's God, he's running the world, and he does what pleases him according to his righteous character and good pleasure for his glory alone first and our good second. He's got the big picture view and often delayed gratification is what brings about the greatest blessing. There's only so much that you can handle with God at once. How many of us know that when it comes to delayed gratification, young children very rarely have this sense? You can try and reason with them, but for the most part, it is inconceivable for something better to be had later. They have only one time dimension, and that is now. They want it now. And if they don't get it now, they start going crazy. Well, if we're honest, we just may be a little bit more sophisticated. We want the position now. We want the relationship now. We want the money now. We want the influence now. We want them to know Jesus now. We want our church to grow now. We want our ministry to grow now. We want it now. And if we don't get it, then we start to get frustrated. We cut corners or we scheme or we compromise. We end up settling for so little when God wants us to have so much more if we'll just wait. We're like what C.S. Lewis once said. We'd rather continue slapping mud pies together in a slum because we can't imagine what it would be like to have a holiday at the sea. But if you're in a place this morning of seemingly delay, maybe you just sense that you're stuck in your situation. I encourage you this morning to hang in there. If you haven't caught on by now, the story of the world is full of delayed desires and hopes. Just ask any Cubs fan. (laughs) Or any Detroit Lions fan. Like... But I want to say something very familiar, and some of you know this, but it's still so true. I want to tell you this morning that even if you feel like you're stuck in a situation, that God's delays are not necessarily his denials. Hearing the news of Lazarus, Jesus waited two more days before setting out. He didn't make any preparations. He didn't send a messenger to tell the family that he was on the way. He didn't collaborate with the disciples asking them, what should I do? Why? Because Jesus isn't sweating it. He's up to something. He's got the big picture view here, which is for us to have a bigger and better view of himself. A message of deep distress is met with a confounding response. And point number two, a seemingly hopeless situation is met with a compassionate revelation. Well, when Jesus finally got there in verse 17, Lazarus is sure enough dead. He has been in the tomb for four days. And Martha and Mary's interaction with Jesus reveals some essential 
attributes about his nature, his character. It's interesting that in verses 21 and 32, both Martha and Mary approached Jesus with the same statement. They could finish each other's sentences as sisters. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. They'd seen him heal before and they knew he could heal again. They are grieving now and no doubt are questioning why Jesus delayed, but they're not turning their backs on him. Yeah, they don't have all the answers right now in their loss. But they're still there, hanging in there. And Jesus responds by giving them and us a clearer view of himself. Jesus reels Martha in. Martha, your brother's going to rise again. And like any Orthodox Jew who had a sound doctrine at that time, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Yeah, I know I'll see him later, Jesus. Now, on one level here, I think that Jesus is giving some comfort to Martha by drawing her attention to our future resurrection when all followers of Christ will be restored to a glorified body to fit their existence in the new heavens and the new earth. But on another level, he's communicating to her, I can see that you're still trusting in me, Martha. I know that you believe I have a connection to God. You know me well. I know you well. I know that you've believed on the evidence of the miracles, the healing of your father. I know you've seen other things that I've done. I know that you believe that there's a future resurrection, even though you might be a little fuzzy on the details. So I'm going to be straight up with you right now. I am the resurrection and the life. That's how God defined himself. Remember to Moses in the Old Testament, this is what we've been going through. I am who I am. In other words, God is, he's sovereign over his self-revelation. He's the one that does the defining. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall live, even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In other words, Martha, I'm in charge of it all. The future has been brought into the present, you see. I've already been restoring and healing and transforming. And not only has the future been brought into the present in that reality, but it's actually staring at you right in the face. Do you believe this? And she says, yes. I believe that you are the Messiah the God-man, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Do you believe it? If you've not seriously considered Christ this morning, I would be a bad pastor on Easter Sunday if I didn't urge you to. Who else will you trust? Who else will you seek? You know, I've I've lived long enough, 44 now, wow, 44, holy smokes. And this is 
like, like seriously, I, I know I, I just keep coming back to this because it, I'm 44 now and now the, the, the hairs are popping up in weird places on my body. So that's how I know. You're like, where did that come from? Why is that there? Why didn't I see that there? But I've lived long enough at 44 to pretty much figure out that I'm pretty much convinced that the best future that an ordinary life apart from Christ has to offer is hopefully a comfortable retirement, hopefully maybe some grandkids running around as life slowly ebbs away with maybe a vague hope that they'll see their loved ones again out there sometime. I've done enough funerals to know that's the conversation. But I want to tell you this morning that there is something much greater. You could even have a little bit of some of that, what I've talked about. But the abundant life that Jesus came to offer because of his resurrection is righteousness and it's joy and it's peace and it's mission and it's adventure and it's a giving your life away so you can really live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you can have a sure hope. We have been given a new birth into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That it doesn't have to be just some vague thing, oh, I hope I get there. But you can know that you get there. That's what this morning, that's one of the reasons this is all about and why we're a little excited this morning. Fear can be gone. And that upon your physical death, all of that joy and righteousness and peace and glory, it will only be intensified as you enter into life everlasting. Does someone in here know what I'm talking about this morning in that? There was Martha, now there's a weeping Mary. Who, when she heard Jesus was nearby, went to him with the same declaration. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And upon seeing her tears and those who came with her, it says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. In other words, he was intensely grieved and angered by the evil and outcome of death. Contrary to what you may have heard at a funeral service, death is not the natural end of things. It is unnatural. It's not the way it was supposed to be. It is ugly and it is outrageous. And Jesus came to put an end to it. He said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in your English translation of the Bible, yet one of the most profound. Our God who became flesh who revealed himself as the resurrection and the life, also weeps with those who weep. The one whom the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said would be acquainted with grief and pain and suffering 
he shares in our suffering too. The psalmist said that he is close to the brokenhearted, but he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He is close, he is near. Let me ask you another question. Who is a God that has compassion like that? Or better yet, what God who someone or what God who someone has made up can identify with all of our human experience, including our tears? If you got an example, come let me know after service. Because this God does. To help transition into our third and final point, there's another insight here in the text that I'd like to draw out. Last week, Phil did a great job of capturing Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey during the Passover feast to the cheers and waving of palm branches by the crowds, which was a direct fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, picturing that the coming king didn't come on a war horse to overthrow the political oppression of the Roman Empire through combat, but rather he came gentle and humble to offer terms of peace. That's what the donkey symbolized, but it's here that we have the war horse. The Greek expression that Jesus was deeply moved and his spirit and greatly troubled was not only used to describe someone's emotional state, but it was an expression, expression used to, to use the violent snorting of a horse as it was a get ready to charge into battle. Yes, Jesus came to make peace, but he also came to make war on death, our final enemy. He's getting ready and he's grieved and mad at what he's seeing. We saw that a message of deep distress was met with a confounding response. A seemingly hopeless situation was met with a compassionate revelation. And lastly... A stone-sealed tomb is met with a command of resurrection. Verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. There's the war horse again. Came to the tomb, and it was a cave. A stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And I love what comes next as John details the rawness of the circumstance, which just goes to show how much the story, the truthfulness of the story. And Martha pipes up, uh, Lord, by this time, there's going to be an odor. He's been dead four days. The King James Version of the Bible says, by this time, he stinketh. Way to go, King Jimmy, you know, the old King James, you know. (laughs) Well, because they didn't embalm bodies like we do back then and that they didn't drain the blood and then inject preservatives, there would, would have been more than likely a growing stench, which Martha caught on to, the beginnings of decay and probably some bugs climbing around, especially in such a warm climate. 
Now, when it comes to Jesus engaging with others, he's gracious in that he works with you'll believe it when you see it person and you'll see it when you believe it. Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Which is what this is all about, you know, by the way. Can we just go back to that? This is what this whole thing is all about. It's about the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified. It's about seeing his greatness put on display. It's about seeing his power and his actions publicly or with the eyes of faith. It's having sight to see. That is the glory of God. Nothing else could explain it. Remember all the way back in verse 4? The whole thing is set up. This is all for his glory. So that those who witnessed it would believe. And they, whoever it was, three, four, five, six people, I don't know. I'm sure with knees knocking and holding their breath with a gulp in their throat, took away the stone. Then comes the prayer. And this is the key. Jesus looked up. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. What? That sounds past tense. When did the Father hear him? During the delay. Remember? Hey, fellas. Let's go back to Judea for a few days and hang out for a bit. I've got some things to do. And it's here that we see that during the delay, we pray. Or maybe it's you pray for someone else's delay. Maybe it's for a broken relationship. Maybe it's while waiting for the next job. Maybe it's while you're in a place of deep disappointment. Maybe it's waiting that those who you really love may truly know Jesus and not just give lip service. Whatever it is, Your desire to see God intervene in the situation will be shown by your praying and his delaying. If he's going to be glorified, then he's got to do it. Prayer gets us out of the way and calls down his action. Jesus then goes on from talking to the Father to talking to Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. And many commentators have said if Jesus didn't specifically address Lazarus, then all the bodies in every dead tomb would have busted out of there. I like that, don't you? And Lazarus came out of that tomb. Jesus' voice raises the dead. 
Unbind him and let him go. His most powerful sign yet, which of course anticipates his own resurrection, which reminds us today that the last enemy will not have the last word. For Jesus took it on himself. And he defeated it by taking it on and busting up out of it. It guarantees that we're going to bust up out of it too. Two amens? Four? It guarantees that we will bust out of it too. (laughs) Thank you, Sister Tasha. As we get ready to close. This story captures so much of our responses to Jesus in our trials, doesn't it? If you go back and you just kind of go back through all the characters. But it, it does. It captures so much of our responses to Jesus during the trials of life. You have the unbelieving religious leaders that are just, they're just not going to believe it. They're just stone cold against him. It's right in front of their face and they say, nope. You have the desperate and hurting sisters. You have the naive Thomas. You have the grieving crowd. You have the caring and the critical commentators, right? You always have the caring people. Then you always got to have your critics. I mean, what would life be without those? Where do you fall in response to your trial this morning? I want to share hope this morning. That in the midst of all the plotting, all the hurt, the struggle with believing, the naysayers, the cynics, the naive, the confused, and the grieving, in the midst of sin and suffering, dismay and death, even though it seems so dark and that there's a stone over the hole, Jesus reminds us this morning that there is always hope of a resurrection. He is able to roll the stone away. No matter what. No, no matter how long it's been going on. Back to our boy, Lazarus. He had quite a journey, didn't he? I mean, seriously. I mean, you think about these things when you're reading these stories, right? Can you imagine when you're hanging out with Lazarus afterwards? Like if you're one of his close buddies, you're just, this, I mean, Lazarus is the ultimate one-upper, right? People talking about their exploits, you know, back in the day with sports and all their stuff. And Lazarus is just kind of like, there, dude, I rose from the dead. <laughs> but he had quite a journey, didn't he? He went through a delay in his sickness. He wound up dead with a stone over the cave. He walked out looking defeated, that is, until they got the grave clothes off of him. Yet in the next chapter, he has become dangerous. 
Not only do the religious leaders want to kill Jesus, but now they want to kill Lazarus too because no one could deny his resurrection and its effect. He was shown up dead, but now he's causing others to believe too. Follower of Jesus in this room this morning, you too were once dead in your sin, but you were raised again to new life, and its effect on you should not make you safe, but it should make you dangerous too. Speaking of dangerous, we got a warm tub here this morning. Guys, come on up. We got three folks that are getting baptized here this morning. <laughs> and we're so excited for this as we had baptisms usually two or three times a year, especially on Easter Sunday. And what these three are about to give evidence to is the power of the resurrection in their own life, is what baptism symbolized, that they have been identified with Christ in his death, symbolized by going into the water, and they've been raised to new life as they come out, transformed a new life following after Jesus. And so they're going to share their testimony here this morning, and then one by one, we're going to baptism. And i got a sweet little girl up here, too, that I'm really looking forward to, too. Um, but Tristan is going to kick us off. He's going to share his story. And then uh, we're going to get after it. Move right to the middle. We need some on here, guys. I'm on. He's not. <laughs> oh, there we go. We on now? All right. <laughs> All right, uh, my name's Tristan, and I'm uh, getting baptized today. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, so a little about my story. Um, I was blessed enough uh, with two wonderful parents who raised me in a Christian home and took me to church growing up, and I got to know a lot uh, of Jesus. Um, but I didn't know him, and... Uh, went through life um, not knowing him, but knowing of him and doing the Christian things. You know, I walked the Christian walk, you know, the just typical things like going to church and everything. And um, it wasn't really until my senior year that I actually got to know him. And so the, all of those years, it was a lot of me doing things on my own. And of course, Ultimately, that just led to a path of self-destruction that obviously affected others around me as well. And it wasn't again until the end of my senior year of college, uh, about a year ago, little, a little more than a year ago, that I came face to face with my sin. And I finally realized like, what I am on my own apart from Jesus. And uh, just saw all the destruction and the evils that I had become capable of doing. And finally, I uh, met with a friend and uh, sat down and talked and confessed everything that was really going on. And he was like, man, when was the last time you repented and gave your life to Christ? And we sat down and prayed. Um, and it was in that moment that I finally realized that I am nothing apart from Jesus. And he is everything good in this world. And 
Oh, man. Uh, just a whole life honestly changed after that. And uh, I was blessed with a fresh restart. And I actually moved from North Carolina to Chicago, not knowing a single person. And the Lord has just continued to bless me as I've followed him. And I certainly don't have it all figured out, but I know that he's with me. And the struggles that I still face uh, today and that I'll face tomorrow, I know he's got me. And because of him, I have a joy for life and just a peace, knowing that no matter what happens, like, he's got me. And uh, I don't have to fear death anymore. And uh, I just have such a love to be able to love other people because he's loved me and have just a joy for service and to serve this community and the, anywhere that I am in life. And so it's because of that I stand before you today saying, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life and I'm ready to be baptized. Last Easter, it was a shriveler. Um, it was really cold in here. Take a seat, Tristan. It's a, now it's, it's serious bath water. It's good. You just need the soap, man, and you'll be ready to go. Tristan, you know, when, I, when, you're, uh, when I was listening to your story, it reminded me of so many people's journey, actually, when they come to Christ. As you kind of grow up going to church, the seed is planted in you, and it begins to take root. So grateful for the legacy of your family who came all the way from North Carolina. Where are they at? Where, yeah. yeah. Way to go, mom and dad, of uh, investing in your kids. The most important thing ever, the gospel, and that they'd be raised up going to the church and hearing the truths of Christ. Tristan, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and just respond by saying yes or however affirm, or you want to affirm what I say. Uh, Tristan, do you uh, confess or profess repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, that there is nothing that you could do to earn your salvation that is solely because of what Christ has done for you in his death and resurrection? And Tristan, do you profess and do you commit to following him all the days of your life in the fellowship of the church, using your gifts to serve him and others for the rest of your life, for the rest, that God, the rest of the time that God has given you to work towards the kingdom? Yes. Tristan, then it is Lee and Mai's joy to baptize you in the name. Are you a nose plugger? Awesome. Okay. It's our tremendous joy and privilege to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Neil. It helps that I don't have my glasses because I can't see you all, so I'm a little less nervous. Um, so, wow. So I, I started coming to Park about six months ago. Um, and when I came in, so the beginning of the stories, I was raised in the church, so my story starts very similar to, Chris, to Tristan's. 
Um, and came in, I, I had a crisis of faith around the time I started college, and I just, I wanted nothing to do with Christians or Christianity or the church, um, completely turned away. Um, so fast forward several years later, I have praying family, thankfully, um, and I couldn't explain why, but at the beginning of um, last year, I decided that I wanted to start going to church. Mind you, I only wanted to start coming to church, that was it. Um, and so I didn't find my way to Park, and that in itself is a story how I found Park um, as opposed to other churches. But I didn't find my way to Park until somewhere around midsummer, around July, August. Um, and as the Lord would have worked it out, it was really just a series of just really elegantly woven circumstances and putting me in touch with people with resources. I had questions from Genesis to Revelation. I questioned everything. I was having none of it. And so um, I was sitting at the back of the church, which is where I usually sit, um, and I met this woman walking her baby. Her name is Sam Yeager. She's part of the deacon team here. And um, during greet time, she, I was telling her about my story, and then she connected me to um, small group, and she connected me to Alpha, two things that are like just completely key. Um, so Alpha is one of these courses, it was offered at the Near North Campus, and I could go in and ask all sorts of questions, and it's just completely open. And I had questions, but interestingly, and I'm actually now thinking about it, how quickly it happened, by the third session of Alpha is when we were talking about why Jesus died and talking about God's grace. And once I'd realized during, it wasn't even during Alpha, so during Alpha, you know, I'd found out that, not found out, but I'd heard about it, but it seemed to, it seemed like I was hearing it for the first time. It clicked when I realized that the gift of salvation, Jesus' death, God's sacrifice of his son, it was a gift that was given to me and there wasn't a single thing that I could have done to earn it. It wasn't based on merit. It wasn't based on somebody's recommendation. It wasn't based on some future expectation of what I would do. Um, and when I, when I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it just sort of dawned on me, the realization that just the extravagant generosity of the gift. And I think when I think back, sorry, I also, I'm also having my first public cry. <laughs> Um, so when I think back to how disbelieving I was to being here and just fully accepting that God did all of this out of love for us, for me, um, it's not a gift that you, you know, you reject, I think, once you understand the weight of it. Um, and then through my seeking and asking the hard questions and being put in, um, just being given resources, I didn't realize it until yesterday. Yesterday I had to meet with Lee and Kelsey and sort of talk about my story and thinking about the changes, none of them I did. Looking back and just everything that happened, none of it was something that I consciously did. But then over time my desires started to change. And over time, just everything changed. Um, and so I'm happy, really happy to take on the label. I'm a Christian and I, um, anyway, but I'm, I'm so grateful for the support that I, 
I got from Park, from the women in my small group who are phenomenal and ex extremely patient, and they know so much about the Bible and were able to not only withstand my questions, but able to answer them with grace. Um, and um, Sam, like just the epitome of God's love, this woman took time every Tuesday for 10 weeks to go with me to Alpha. Um, and that's like making time apart from having her, her family and her ministry and all the other responsibilities that she had, just demonstrating true Christian love. Um, and so I'm so glad that through the series of events that brought me here, I ended up here. Um, and so I'm happy to take the dunk. <laughs> Sister, we're glad that you're here and we're glad that you're in here now. This is good. Or Sam, 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 Sam. That's why we take five or ten minutes in greet time. That everybody would be known. Where's small group? Where's the small group gals? <laughs> Neil, I, I love the journey. Because I, I, I'm learning more about you, obviously, in the last, over the last six months, little by little. And it doesn't surprise me that you're asking lots of questions because you're a scientist. Yeah, so... Um, I'm just amazed at God's grace in the journey, which you described so well in that uh, he can handle your questions. And then even when you're down and out and you're walking away, that he's so loving and kind to come chasing after you. Uh, he, you are truly his. Um, and you're his daughter. It's amazing. I'm going to ask you a few questions and just respond by yes. Neil, do you profess repentance to God and a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, knowing that if you, what you just confessed, that Jesus is the one who has done all the work on your behalf so that you can have a right relationship with God and life eternal with him. And would you commit to following Jesus all the rest of your days in the body of Christ, serving him and his people, uh, giving evidence of the kingdom of God and serving. And it's Lee and Mai's joy to baptize you this morning. We baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Good morning. My name is Lincoln Lalone. I'm seven years old. I'm here today to share my story being baptized. As I've grown up, I've always went to church. And my mommy and daddy have always taught me the good news of Jesus. They taught me that Jesus loves me and always keeps his promises. And the promise I want to share today is that if I place my trust in him, I could be forgiven for my sins and grow in my love for God and others. But the first part of my story is the bad news of my sin. And by sin, I mean that I haven't always obeyed God's rules for my life. For example, I used to lie a lot to my friends at school saying I went to Chuck E. Cheese over the weekend. But I've never even been to Chuck E. Cheese. And that reason is that I would lie about that is because I want people's attention and to be popular. 
Sometimes I don't honor my mommy and daddy by not doing what is what they say or having a bad attitude about it. Also, because my brother Dylan is slowpoke, though most of the time he is. <laughs> but much worse yet is that I've loved other things above God in my life, such as toys, electronics, and family. And those things are good things, but God has to be first place in my life. And all those things help me realize that I needed to believe the good news of Jesus. Even though I fell short in obeying God's good rules, Jesus obeyed them all perfectly. And if I place my trust in him, the joy of his obedience would be given to me. And I would be given the power to live the life that God has always wanted me to live, which is always the best. So my daddy told me there's going to, to be people getting baptized Easter Sunday. I said, Daddy, I'm ready to be baptized. I believe in Jesus and I want to share my story. And so my daddy spent the time with me to make sure I understood what I was doing. And so I stand before you today, a follower of Jesus. I don't always get it perfect, but I know that Jesus is perfect, that he loves me, and that he will help me to follow him and be with him forever. I hope that you want to follow him too. Give me a huggy. Huggy, huggy. Come here, huggy. You get huggy first. <laughs> I love you. It's pretty warm, huh, honey? Yeah. <clears throat> Wanna move up a little bit? You did a great job reading your story. That's sometimes tough to get through, isn't it? With all these people standing out there or sitting out there, you did an awesome job. Well done. <laughs> Mommy and I are so proud of you. We are so thankful to the Lord for you. We've been praying for you for ever since you've been in mommy's tummy that you would know him. And we know that you know him. You've given evidence of that all along the way. It's been so awesome to watch you know him and know him better and grow in him. And we're really proud of you. And I'm proud of what you did here this morning. That was so good. You did a great job. I love you so much. Now I'm going to ask you a couple questions, okay? All right, sweetheart, do you confess your sins to God and profess repentance to him that you're turning away from your sin and that you're trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation? Yeah, and that this isn't mommy and daddy's faith. This is, remember, this is all your faith, what you want to do on your own, right? Because mommy and daddy can't save you. We have no power to do so. All we can do is share and try to love you and show you Jesus, right? Do you commit to following Jesus all the rest of your days? Yes. And to being a part of the church and serving him with the gifts that he's given you, especially of your compassion and your great love and care and service for people? You do? Okay. Then it's me and mommy's great joy this morning. You're going to plug your nose? Okay. Sweetheart, we love you and we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
Let's pray. Father, we bless you for your word this morning and are so grateful for the power of the resurrection. We're reminded this morning that the power of the resurrection in the gospel is no respecter of persons. It's for whosoever shall believe. And Father, I pray, O oh Lord, that we would continue to be a church that shares the good news so that many will believe. Father, I pray that you encourage us this morning, no matter what situation that we're in, that there's always hope of the resurrection and that you would continue to guide Tristan and Yanil and Lincoln in their journey of faith, that you, they would find themselves following after you and that they would be delighting in you and that they would be serving you all of the days, bringing you glory and completing the work which you would be giving them to do for their future. And so God, Bless them this morning. I pray that you give them an extra measure of joy this morning as well as they profess their faith in Christ to so many. And Father, and for the journey of had, encourage their hearts, I pray. And as we get ready to sing this last song, may we sing out loud, may we sing loud, may we clap, maybe even dance, Father, as we rejoice in the resurrection. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.